0: Okay, I'm gonna start recording it now. So should have been recording this the whole time.
1: Jesus, you missed the you missed the dick butt conversation. The, dick butt,
0: the, the time cop. You missed the
1: time the time yeah, cop. No like.
0: time cop. No dick butt.
1: I don't know what you expect us to have material for a cold open now, and we're okay. fucking running dry.
0: Okay, this is just what fucking happens when Adam is not producing. I blame Adam. <laughs> I fully blame Adam. Fuck you, Adam. Get a job. I mean,
1: yeah, he he went to law prom last night. It's really not his fault. Um, he he got all the liquor he could drink for like seventy dollars.
0: Uh, mm. Law school prom? That just sounds gross. That sounds like people that are gonna yeah. like pee on poor people as legislators later in life, like just glad handing each other.
1: See, I just see it as a bunch of really like sweaty white guys all. Just drinking at an open bar and getting down to some really weird, weird '90s tunes.
2: (laughs) It strikes me as a bunch of people who joined the Young Republicans Club in undergrad—the
0: kind of people—or the Young Democrats Club equally awful people. Yeah, are you
2: are you
1: describing (laughs) like? Are you describing like the memes that are like of the some of the Make America Great Again college kids? They're like, what does this smell like?
3: No, not
2: those people. I'm talking like the people who are part of the young Republicans or young Democrats. Just people who would like happily work to, for a member of the other party if it meant they got a job yeah, as an intern for a congressperson or people who like process more than they care about the actual politics, you know?
0: Yeah, the people who just want to be a like politician. A law
2: is like. Yeah. yeah, the people who are politics nerds, not like with any
1: ideology. They just. The West Wing people, you know. uh, I I unlike, I unlike us open actually. <laughs> the fear <bigger laughs> <of> politically. <laughs> <people>. Unlike us. <laughs> no, I, I meant to tell you, Carl, about uh, the speech and debate tournament I was judging um, this weekend. Oh, this is a good, actually, good material for a cold open. I forgot about it. We're um, <laughs> already recording. Um, oh, are we? Fuck. Um, I mean, so, we can clip it, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: but um, so I was I was judging uh, debate districts here in Oklahoma, uh, high school debate districts, and. They ran a policy debate, which is clearly the better debate. Okay. Um, Get off they, the pod. I also, have, I also have a story about a Lincoln-Douglas round that you'll very much appreciate. They forced me to vote on, like, um, moral—what was it? Their criteria was, like, uh, limiting—they were negating uh, UBIs and, like universal, like, universal ethics. And so they were like, uh, moral um, obligations have to have a bright line at feasibility— uh for Oh, see
0: that's why like, when you, you bring this fucking bright line shit into Lincoln Douglas, you miss you miss all the cont con- puns, you know? It's not good. <laughs> no, I feel you, but like she argued
1: for like utilitarian like the the negative argued for utilitarian ethics. Um which basically I had to vote for because she uh, it was it was more of a feasibility argument on how you're going to like um Fund because the the affirmative never really defended her case very well and didn't attack the other other cases criteria. I don't know that much about linguist, like, but at the end of the day, I was forced to vote on um, in enforcing uh, utilitarian ethics via government standards, and I felt really really dirty. Like, I needed to fucking take a shower after that round. Yeah, I was like, cool. all you had to do, I mean, it was with the UBI, you know what I mean? So it was like, oh, well, we should use a utilitarian calculus, and, you know, it's whoever's going to reduce suffering. And I'm like, in what fucking world is government-backed utilitarianism of the status quo that you're advocating for, rather than a UBI
0: going to fucking reduce suffering, please? <laughs>
3: Hey, the but U.S. The government Department
0: does, a, does a great job of, of reducing suffering. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying, right?
2: <laughs> They were like so those death panels battle. were
0: for back they were in the like,
1: Obama years. A UBI will take away from like welfare and all the other things, and it, for whatever shitty evidence you're using for the test run of a UBI, welfare already gives out x amount more dollars, so it's net suffering. And I'm like, this is just so bad. Like the all the affirmative has to say because it's also a but like an, it's a it's a claim to ethics debate. So I was like, what the f-? like. All you have to say is, oh, well, what about their ethical claims to profit? Like, can we just talk about those? The fucking corporations to, you know, fund the goddamn UBI's? That'd be pretty Wait, great, because we're but talking that's, about automation.
0: I mean, that's the funniest thing, is that UBI's are, like, all these Silicon Valley people want UBI's just so that they can, like, stop paying people wages. <laughs> They're just like, oh, yeah, that would, would be going cool.
2: a micro-unit apartment and live off their UBI's, and then... Zuckerberg can just have everyone live in the giant Facebook board he's creating.
0: Oh, yes. Where, like, every single movement gets recorded so that he can turn it into some data point for profit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. No, well, the other thing was there was actually in in the policy round um the one that I actually wanted to tell you about I just had to tell you about that Lincoln Douglas because I need to take a make me feel really gross I'm having to vote for that, but um the policy round was necessarily uh they ran a, a socialism app basically about like advocating for a constitutional amendment to like buy back fortune five hundred companies, you know um uh, trying to create their own version of the undercommons. and then like in cross-ex the other team the, the negative team was like, so are are the bourgeoisie allowed in, in the undercons? And the AF said yes.
0: And then and it's I was over. like it's over.
1: I was like, I just asked them as soon as the round was over, I was like, can you please like read the Wikipedia page on socialism <laughs> yeah. before you run any case predicated on socialism because I was ex- incredibly excited. I was okay, like, "Holy but... fuck! Nobody is like running like actual like le- I mean, they're running like you know like queer but, theory, but, like shit like that, but they're not running any like actual this is you the know, economic This is, this is why you
0: I mean, run Shishkin
1: Daily and shit like
0: that. This but, is why LD mm-hmm. is better than policy, and that's because you all just get these weird like uncut. Or, or rather, very cut sets of packets from like college students that do too much Adderall and write debate cases. Okay, and firstly, I don't read I was them in college students. <laughs> I, I do read them. and high school debate is dog shit. That is not an
1: argument. okay. <laughs> I actually had one of the uh, I actually had a high schooler on a panel with me that was like, uh, he was he he was judging with me. and we were just making up the jokes because the dude who was Wait, running there was the socialist I'
0: app- judging it uh, okay.
1: No, no, no. He was previously. I previously judged him oh, okay. as a high schooler, yeah, and he is yeah. now on college debate on the panel with me. Uh, I kept uh, we kept making jokes because uh, Anthony Scaramucci jokes because the dude who is running the socialism app looked literally exact like Man, a younger
3: I, version miss,
0: of I miss M-. the G- mooch. Like, I, I genuinely
1: I, I so much miss that. Has
0: been the worst thing of Trump's presidency is that we got something like the Mooch and then it was taken away from us. You know, like, uh,
2: Spi- Spicer is my true love. I will Spicer always... is my
1: true love. Mooch is like the the, the guy we cheated on Spicer with. So, <laughs> yeah, but, but it's right.
0: I mean, the thing is, I Spicer want Spicer is- to be put
1: in permanently
2: as the press secretary for every president he's actually uh, <laughs> all right
0: he's the permanent press secretary for the white house bushes now
3: um <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and, and no, but see I, I was talking to the, yeah well i, I was just, talking to that high
1: schooler who was on the panel with me and was like we, we just looked at him we, we we looked at him after the round i looked at him after the round i was like you see how bad you used to be like it's not a joke that high school debaters are bad but what were you saying about the mooch?
0: Well, I'm just saying the mooch now is going back to his job as a—he—he's uh, probably <laughs> going back to being a, a high school debater because that's. How <laughs> <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Oh, gee.
3: Many months has come and gone since I wandered
2: from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born
0: Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong
2: Way down yonder in the Indian Nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born now we're down yonder in the Indian nation. the cowboys life is my occupation and there's Oklahoma hills where I was born.
0: I'm Carl Roberts, and today we've got Parker Nelson and Steven Lastman, and this is Red Star Over Oklahoma. We are a small political and news podcast broadcasting about left politics and left Oklahoma. Uh as you all probably already noticed from the cold open, Adam is taking the week off and he's doing that to work on fixing up the recording of the Green Country DSA candidate forum. Uh shout out to Adam for for moderating that and shout out to you Parker for being there on the boards to record it and you know, shout out to Green Country DSA for setting that up and to all the candidates. It was you know, I watched the live stream, it was really cool. Um and just come back and uh, check in, the, in your podcasting app, however you get us this week, to listen to that. Um, you know, it's, it's really cool to see some actual, like, left-wing people running for office. So uh, I think it's really enlightening, and that's an important thing. You know, if, if, if you're really into electoral politics, this is a big deal. Um, but now that the formalities for the week are out of the way, uh, we got some, some good stories coming up for you. Uh, the first one, I think you can lead us into, Parker, uh, something about how the Trump administration wants to reform the food stamp program.
1: I appreciated how we define this. Um, first of all, I just want to mention, um, it's government, lunchboxes, G-U-B-M-I-T. <laughs> um, and so, uh, basically, I, going, into the, going into it a little bit, um, the government is specifically, the, the Trump administration is looking to um, change how the, the SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, um, formerly called Food Stamps, um, they're trying to replace half of the benefits people receive with boxed non-perishables, um, which are non-fresh foods chosen by the government and not by the, peop- not by the people eating them. Um, uh, this this is kind of already, well, it's, it's a bad plan for a number of reasons, um, most primarily that American Indians um, recognize this as the same type of federal food assistance that tribes have historically received, um, which have, been absolutely horrible for them. It' um, ranging all the way back to 1997, um, and, uh, all since then, the uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture um, bought a bunch of non-perishable foods to distribute on reservations um, as a part of the um, distribution program for um, for for the reservations. And the program was supposed to be an alternative um, to SNAP for a, a lot of uh, tribe members that couldn't make it uh, out of remote areas uh, closer to grocery stores and whatnot. Um, And they were filled with kind of uh, shelf-stable foods, peanut butter, powdered eggs, milk, um, nothing, no perishables and no really fresh vegetables. Um, It's actually kind of crazy some of the, uh, some of the accounts that are in this article talking about like uh, never tasting pineapple or real spinach or particular foods until like they were older and able to leave the reservation, if at
0: all. What what was crazy to me about reading some of that is, um, I I mean, I have some friends uh, that, that grew up in east germany and that's also a thing that they talk like they talk about it like that they're like oh yeah i just you know watermelon would happen like once a year and that was it and it's like yeah it's like on the level of
2: war rations
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) except it's in like the richest country in the world (laughs) it's not like we're at war or something and they they can't even get access to like pineapple I mean, like, don't get me wrong, if you put pineapple on a pizza, you should go, you go to hell along with the colonizing oh, government, the federal government of the U.S. But, absolutely,
1: mean, you imperialist fucks, get the pineapple off of the pizza, <laughs> please. But it's just, oh, I cannot rant <laughs> enough about this.
0: I mean, it, it's, really, it's really crazy to think that, that that's a thing, like, in our lifetimes for people living on mm-hmm. reservations. Well, now it's going to
2: be expanded to the entire nation if Trump has his way, which is just insane that we're basically giving the least nutritious—we're giving them, like, MREs from the military or something from 20 years ago, just giving them some cardboard and leather to chew on while, you know, that money gets transferred to incredibly stupid places in the government.
3: Right,
1: absolutely. And, yeah.
0: I mean, it's also one of those things where where food stamps are one of the best, like, one of the newest ways to make a profit for big companies, because, I mean, there are so many headlines that, like, half of Amazon's workers are on food stamps, or, like, Walmart has figured out the sweet spot to keep its workers on food stamps so they can pay them less or something. Mm -hmm. And, And, I mean, it's, like, it's this intersection between, like, government tyranny in terms of, like... You know, saying this is the only food you can eat. Like, already food stamps fucking suck. You can't get hot well, food with I think food that, stamps.
2: That goes back to like what we were saying about UBI. The problem is, as soon as they're given something from the government, their companies are like, "Oh, well, that means we can give you less because we know that you can live without this entitlement, so we can reduce your salary. So now you have to have it."
0: Yeah, that's that's actually really. I mean, that is that is exactly how it works is it is like how can we use government programs to get out of, of paying people like money that they need to live and then i mean something like this is is like that intersection where suddenly your boss is being even shittier to you than before and now you don't even get to choose the food you eat
1: mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely and it's it's it, it there's a a little Further implications, other than that, um, uh, to for for a little bit of statistics, American Indians and Alaskan Natives are uh, twice as likely to as whites to have type two diabetes. Um, they have one and a half times the rate of obesity as uh, non-Hispanic whites, uh, according to government statistics. Um, and of course. Some scientists are paid to put out fucking material that uh, think uh, that think these health differences lie in what's called the thrifty gene theory, which suggests Native Americans have a genetic predisposition to obesity. Literal race science. Come on. Literal race science. Literally, we haven't had enough of this. They're bringing up the phrenologists too. Oh, dude. We did not. Yeah, I mean, but obviously these diseases. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, that's not prevalent Nazi until after
1: <laughs> tribes were like a more processed Western diet. Like, it's literally like, uh, it physically hurts to actually read a lot of these, like to, to to try to make arguments that indigenous bodies are somehow inherently susceptible to diabetes. Like, uh, they're not, it's just the diets are not very nutrient dense, but as opposed to very calorie dense, which is a major problem. And, um, sort of like SNAP, the, the Indian food distribution program is meant to supplement a family's food budget, which, um, it's it, like uh, studies have found that 60 percent of Native Americans who receive food assistance to the program rely on the government program as the primary source of food, um, as opposed to like a third of people enrolled in SNAP right now. So um, it, it definitely disproportionately affected them, but still will have a pretty major um, impact on everybody um, who's being supported by SNAP if if these types of changes roll through. Um, so Does the
2: article say anything about what the cost difference is going to be, like um, how much money they're cutting from the program?
1: It doesn't really do a cost-benefit analysis on whether or on how much money it would be saving particular people, but I can imagine that processed foods, uh, at the very least, uh, it, it, it 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 depends on um, when it comes to, I guess, vegetable fruits and vegetables definitely are are along the cheaper lines as uh, as as long as they don't have their uh, organic label. You know what I'm saying?
2: But yeah, well, what 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 I'm thinking the case. I'm- what what amount of money could they possibly be saving from this, like at the federal level? I mean the food stamps is already such an inexpensive program for the government as it is. Just trying to imagine like why they think this is where they need to be making cuts when we have so many other massive programs. Well
0: I I bet money I, I would be totally unsurprised if it wasn't even like a cut thing. If if it was just instead like a way to turn the food stamp program into a paycheck for a company that get, it wins the contract, you know?
3: Right. Because right yeah. now,
0: food stamps, you know, companies decide if they accept food stamps or not. And, and, and so then the people choose what they go buy, right? And if you turn it into a program where the government is buying the food and shipping it to you, then, you know, Trump's friend, like, I, I can't, I literally am trying to come up with some, like, fake-ass Republican name, and I can't because all I can think of is Saxby Chambliss <laughs> and Reince Priebus because those names are so ridiculous. We can just blame
1: it all on Scaramucci. But, like, uh, I mean, Yeah, that's... like,
0: <laughs> Scaramucci <laughs> is talking to some friend that runs, like, the meat packing meatpacking factory from the fucking jungle, and it, you know, that way they can give one of their friends the big paycheck that goes along with sending it out. I think that's, I mean, that's the only reason that this would make sense. To me.
2: Some of the, the big dogs down at Top Ramen are going to get a fat government contract.
0: <laughs>
1: Cup of noodles.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, let's not go
1: crazy here, Parker. Government's not Whoa. made of money. I know, that's, that's what it's I'm gonna saying. It's going to be best <laughs>
0: value uh,
2: ramen.
1: <laughs> so, to actually, I, I, did, I, I lied to you, last year. I did find uh, some ex- externality uh, about... A little bit of statistics. Um, it's supposed to reduce the overall cost of the SNAP program by about 129 billion over the next 10 years. Um, it'll reduce the SNAP budget as well by 213 billion over the, over the years, cutting it by almost 30%. So, um, a bunch of hunger advocacy groups are obviously against these. Um, they they make uh, particular arguments of, like you're saying, a free market model that lets recipient shops at stores uh, reap all the benefits at the cost of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the people who is meant for assistance health so
0: well yeah because i mean that's the thing is that these you know snap benefits and so on since you can't buy hot food and you know any issue we're going to talk about later in the show generally you know poverty is concentrated where you don't have access to good food like Mm -hmm. you know people can't choose to buy the good food and then they use this as an excuse to just sell them a mail people a different kind of shit so that You know, poor people are more stigmatized because you know that that box is going to come with like government food, get a job, you slacker or something on it. Because, I mean, that's the point we're at in our society.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um. The Trump administration also wants to trim an additional $80 billion from the SNAP program by cutting off about 4 million people who currently receive food assistance. Uh, this is mostly in states that have decided to loosen the program's eligibility requirements slightly, and the administration's looking to uh, cut that shit real quick. So, it's always always good news here with the Trumps.
2: Well, I think this reaffirms our running theory that everything that happens in all the shitty things happening in Oklahoma will eventually affect the nation at large. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, there's something, uh, our next big national story is something that can't actually happen in Oklahoma and then happen uh, nationwide, and that's uh, Trump's new bright idea to defend the American economy uh, by passing massive, or not even passing, just like going to a meeting and saying he wants to make uh, big tariffs on steel and aluminum production. Uh, just
1: talking out of his ass the entire time. Do I really have to keep talking about Trump? God. <laughs> man. Uh, it's sad...
0: It's been... Our other national story, yeah, this week
1: is is talking about Trump's uh, oh, Jesus, uh, his steel tariff, uh, the, uh, apparently attempting to incite trade wars. He he just has all these great ideas that um come spilling out of his mouth, kind of like uh, like the dam Adam lives next to, like holy fucking shit. <laughs> um, basically uh, after they 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 succeeded in passing tax cuts and sort of some sorts of re- uh, regulatory rollbacks. um he He's turned now to tariffs because he believes that if for, for some reason in Trump's mind, um he thinks that, oh, we are not we're not a hundred percent receiving all of the economic benefits from a particular relationship with another country. um let's just stop trading with them or impose massively high tariffs, and we win that way. We don't alienate other countries. We don't piss people off. You oh, know, of course uh, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so this is particularly, he's, he's uh, suggesting this in the steel and aluminum industry um, that he, believe, and, and a lot of economists believe that it could hurt American exporters and raise costs for manufacturers that rely on this vast supply chain around the world. Um, it could have a pretty, pretty large ripple effects, um, and uh, he tried to push his signature $1.5. Uh, after after his 1.5 trillion dollar tax cut he's now trying to uh, he's now trying to push um, basically fit. he he his mantra is that he's trying to bring back american jobs but if anything it's definitely going to kill off quite a bit from from the from the aluminum and steel industry um so I don't know how he's, he's he's got some explaining to do, especially that with his gun, his gun regulation talk, because that had,
0: (laughs) that are the Donald. Yeah, he's just been, he's (laughs) actually just been, like, peeing in the Republicans' mouths this past week, just being like, no more global free trade, like, fuck the NRA. (laughs) Right, oh my gosh. Well, that's,
2: that just goes back to, like, all of Trump's beliefs or like policies are informed by the last person to talk to him just whoever spoke to him last and complimented him he believes them and is on board
1: oh right absolutely
2: well like somebody
0: like the ghost of rockefeller or something was like put on tariffs we need to bring back the steel industry
1: (laughs) (laughs) we did coal steel is next we have to go back to the 1800s (laughs) Oh, it's the absolute best. But um, so if other countries kind of uh, and other countries have uh, definitely threatened to retaliate, uh, they um, could end up uh, taking their grievances to the WTO, which, I mean, we really give a fuck about what the WTO says, maybe a little bit. But (laughs) no, I guarantee you Trump doesn't. He'll just be like, well, I just won't trade with anybody at all forever and ever. What's I, funny I, I, is that all
2: these policies are just teaching the world to live without the U.S. economy. So,
1: really, not the worst
0: idea. Like, been, from been, a global
1: perspective, then yeah, they're
2: probably all be better off. We're, we're just fucked here.
0: I don't. It's it's been interesting, like hearing the European response in some ways because, like, the head of the European Commission was like, "Oh yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put tariffs on American goods too." And what he listed was like whiskey and Harley Davidsons. and the whole point of that was being like oh fuck fuck america like he would have put a tariff on bald eagles if they were like a commodity um but they're also like not important you know so on the one side he's they're like trying to make this thing where it's like yeah fuck trump it'll probably work because i'm sure when trump finally reads a brief or hears it on fox and friends that europe wants to ban harley davidson so like i are gonna
2: start a protest by chugging whiskey and driving their Harleys through D.C.
0: <laughs> I can't wait for the Secret Service report. Uh, the president would not stop chugging whiskey while driving a motorcycle.
1: <laughs> now Mike Pence is president. <laughs> and
2: yelling, Trump, Trump I am not
0: the president. Trump ride a
1: motorcycle.
2: <laughs> There's no way Trump would be able to get his, like, bulbous, drooping body to balance on a motorcycle.
1: The only thing that would be better is if he had Anthony Scaramucci in a sidecar <laughs> with him beating <laughs> yeah. him the whiskey as he was driving down the road. Uh, but but those are also
0: like indicate. I mean that's a, I don't know. I, I think that <laughs> indicates a lot about how the world feels about it because America is like the most important global economy in a way and and if you if you're, if you're going to attack us with Harley-Davidson's and whiskeys, you're, you're not really hurting America. you're just you know
1: <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, uh, to put a little, uh, put a little bit of actual like uh, statistics in, into this. Uh, Trump's tariffs uh, were planned to levy a 25% tax on imported steel, um, 10% on imported aluminum. Um, the goal is to sort of obviously China, um, hit, hitting them, Russia, and other countries that have uh, flooded the global markets with sort of cheap products, making it hard for Americans to compete. Um, in efforts, uh, it's going to really impact automakers, uh, beverage manufacturers, other industries that buy a lot of these materials at at uh, wholesale. Um, it, would, it would also increase increase the price for consumers, and uh, affect maybe 190,000, 200,000 jobs, you know? Not significant in the slightest, right?
0: I mean, it's significant in the sense that, like, that's gonna increase the, the Rust Beltification of of the Rust Belt, I guess. But I think yeah, a lot of those suck. jobs... Well, yeah.
2: I mean, no, I think that's past peak Rust Beltification. I mean, a lot of those cities are... It's gotten as bad as it's going to get, and now they're diversifying and not even, like... Steel is not even a relevant industry in any of the major Rust Belt cities anymore.
0: Yeah, it's true. There's, like,
2: nothing... There's nothing to bring back. They're, the industry is gone and they've moved past it. That'd be like trying to revive our nation's water mills.
0: Or, like, trying to revive the coal industry. <laughs>
2: Yes. <laughs> Another foolish thing. I think that his actual motivations for declaring a trade war is just because he's still mad about Alec Baldwin on SNL. <laughs> I,
0: don't, I don't know. I like this theory. There's some tweet floating around that happened like a long time ago in his presidency and somebody was like, Donald Trump's making it the 1920s again. And I think that's what he's doing, you know, because like Hoover's I mean... response to the Great Depression was, if we just slap a bunch of tariffs on everybody, we'll be able to get out of this. And like that feels mm. like a Trump thing, you know, just like oh, I, just, I mean,
2: <laughs> the food box plan definitely seems like something out of a Hoover bill.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: uh, absolutely, and um. One way that the dispute could worsen, uh, according to the article uh, that we're going over this week, um, is that by provoking responses from Canada and Mexico, the tariffs could derail the current re- renegotiation of our favorite free trade agreement on the podcast, the North American Free Trade Agreement. <laughs> Yeah, can we add in some like <laughs> some horns? Can we have? I mean, we need, we need a we need we need a soundboard for free trade agreements if, here. If,
0: if Adam if Adam were producing this week, we could do that. But since I'm gonna be happy if I actually get it published, <laughs> we, we we won't be doing that this time
3: around.
1: Absolutely, and uh, well, it could I mean, be the implications of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What I think is pretty interesting about that is that so much of the the steel trade that has been facil- facilitated by NAFTA is coming out of Canada. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, Mexico has, in a certain sense, um, gotten a lot of the jobs from the U.S. It's just that's because the U.S. companies like were like, oh, we can pay people like a buck an hour or like a buck a day and get away with that because Mexico doesn't have good labor protective, protective laws. But I find it really interesting that Canada is, it, is the country that's going to suffer the most. Because as an individual country, this is targeting Canada more so than anywhere else, if you don't count the European market as a a single entity. Um,
2: Right. That's, yeah, like a majority of our trade for most things is Canadian, and everyone acts like it's the, you know, scary countries like China or the Middle East or something, or North Korea that we're going after. But it's like, yeah, it's Canada, which is, like, no one... No one's trying to attack Canada when they actually think about it. No one cares what Canada's
1: doing to us. But As much as Canada- the universal American sentiment is, you know, fuck Canada. Not really fuck Canada. No, like, I'm down with Canada.
2: They're like yeah. our chill like, identical twin.
0: They have like some cool <laughs> rivers in central Oklahoma. <laughs> 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 Oh jeez.
2: They're not they're not bothering anyone. Don't go after Canada.
0: Well, and that's also I mean that's also I think that's so indicative of like this presidency is that he's like oh, "fucking Canada." Well, rather he's like "oh fucking China." And then it's Canada uh, uh, and the reason I said that if you don't count the European market as a single as a single organization is because if you do, then it goes Europe, Canada as the largest people importing steel to the US. And so it's like we're just he's he shooting like countries that america has good reason to like have you know be nice to he's hurting them because for some reason he thinks it's going to hurt people that aren't white and that's all his policy is based on
1: i mean that in he did run in the 2016 presidential campaign on um winning on trade as critical for the economy um he he seems to think that reducing trade deficits um, in tandem with lowering taxes and reducing federal regulations will somehow, like, be the ignition the economy needs to not have be how the economy's been since, like, 2008, you know? Yeah,
2: well, it definitely, yeah, goes, like, the core of it is his whole America first ideology and everything and all of the, like, we need to be an insular country and never talk to anyone else and do it all ourselves, which obviously can't work in modern society now.
0: Yeah, that, that
2: stuff has long... You time. know, like you, like you said, Carl, we're taking it back to the industrial age, taking it back to 1920s.
0: Well, it did turn out really well at the end of the 20s. Um, so I'm I'm really happy we're doing that. 1929 was a banner year for the stock market. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing,
3: Nothing, and
0: it stayed high forever. <laughs> That's that's the That's the great thing about a bubble is it never pops it can't pop it's impervious to <laughs> pop. bubbles are invincible
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I'm going to be posting something uh, about uh, the necessary forgiveness of student loan debt unless we you know want the United States to collapse completely um, as my pick of the week this week but we, we won't talk about that did you uh, we also had you you had something you wanted to talk about with uh, trade agreements, Carl as a sort of a little bit of subterfugal, right.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, like we were talking about NAFTA. I I don't think, you know, in general, free trade agreements are pretty fucking terrible, but Mm -hmm. like Donald Trump doesn't like them for all the bad reasons, you know, free trade agreements are, are bad because what they tend to mean is that workers in both places lose because, and like I was saying with NAFTA, what you saw with NAFTA was that a bunch of Mexican workers suddenly couldn't. You know, live sub- subsistence farming lives, or, or 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 produce for the Mexican market, right? And so they ended up by NAFTA getting swept into this situation where they were producing for the American market goods that they couldn't afford at prices that they couldn't, uh, for wages that they couldn't live on. But that also meant that American, you know, that was bad for American industry for American workers because the jobs got moved to Mexico. Um, and that that's a lot less of a problem. Most of those jobs were already gone by the time NAFTA was signed, but still, like, workers lose in both instances when you look at free trade agreements in general. And Yeah, uh,
2: but we're, we're saying that free trade agreements are bad because those jobs should be kept in the country at fair wages and not exploiting foreign countries that pay lower wages. Trump is not doing this for that reason.
0: Yeah, Trump does not do He's give- doing it- <laughs>
2: He's doing it so he can exploit the people in this country instead of the people in another country. That's his whole...
0: World. Right. And, and I mean, that, that's just what we have to keep in mind whenever we talk about free trade agreements, is that, you know, globalization is something that can be good, but free trade agreements are globalization for people on the 69th floor. I guess not. That, that's a cool floor. On, like, the 68th floor <laughs> of some skyscraper <laughs> in Manhattan It's good for their bank accounts and bad for everybody else's. Even though, you know, globalization should be a good thing. Um, That's really all I had to say about it. Um, I think think we should maybe move to hear some cool stories about what's going on in Oklahoma this week. Um, Yeah,
2: well, the uh, theme of this week is food. And, you know, we've shown how coming from Oklahoma, these terrible food stamps programs could be applied nationwide, but then going back down to the Oklahoma scale, how does this, like, how this lack of food can affect people just in local communities? Um, We're going to go to North Tulsa here. And so there's a new grocery store proposed in the shops at Peoria, um, which is actually very near where Carl and I both went to high school. Um, So as it stands right now this would be like the only legitimate actual grocery store in the area currently there's nothing else available to people in this part of Tulsa in terms of like an actual grocery store it's all convenience stores and fast food um in a very poor part of Tulsa which as we talked about is often like where a lot of these snap recipients live um Meaning that they don't have access to the grocery stores that they need to actually use their food stamps to get healthy food. Or even people who aren't on it, if you don't have access to like a regular grocery store where they can get produce, they have to get the prepackaged stuff coming from a convenience store or drive 30 minutes out of the way. Which for a lot of people who aren't making a lot of money or might be working 60 hours a week, is an, a huge inconvenience that prevents them from actually getting groceries that they need to have healthy diets.
0: Well, and also, I mean, um, if, you, if you look at where this grocery store is gonna be located, the closest one is the Reesers at 15th and Lewis, and that is like a good yeah, 10, 15 minute miles. drive. Yeah, it's, it's not close, and if you're talking about yeah. the bus, that's like three hours with the bus to get to the closest oh, it, food.
2: Yeah, you have no way of getting there if you don't have a car. <laughs>
1: Try to get some fucking Uh, ice cream. Take that shit home. Not a chance. No,
2: a (laughs) hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, it would be. (laughs) Better eat that on the bus. (laughs) Um, But the article in coming from the Tulsa World says that the TEDC Tulsa Economic Development Council has awarded 1.5 million dollar federal grant through the city of Tulsa to build a grocery store at the Shops of Peoria. Uh, The Tulsa Economic Development Corp has initially expected the funding. to construct a save-a-lot in the southeast corner of 36th street and north peoria avenue um and so a save a lot is kind of similar to like you know big Lots or a dollar general or something like that it's not like a grocery store grocery store and uh, we put we put some other articles up on the list that we'll post
0: but uh a lot of this is about the dollar general economy <laughs> um well yeah because actually at at the candidate forum yesterday uh charles wilkes who's running for uh house district uh, no he's running for city council district three i think it is in tulsa had to leave the candidate forum early to go protest a new dollar general that just opened up on pine you know less than a mile away from this planned grocery store
2: well so that's the problem uh, a lot of organizations consider things like a Dollar General or a Save-A-Lot a grocery store. So you can look at these maps and see an even distribution of grocery stores. But then when you take away these like Dollar General type places, which is what a lot of these articles talk about, um, it just like the food options completely disappear because they're qualifying these places that sell like some prepackaged food mm-hmm. as grocery they, they don't
1: stores. Serve they don't serve no... any like fresh fruits vegetables anything like that it's, yeah. all, it's all processed yeah, there is
0: no butcher either it's all no, stuff no, that no can be meats
1: use... no produce no yeah nothing
2: refrigerated it's all just prepackaged food that sits on shelves and they're calling them grocery stores um and Vox's article is actually really good really and like has a lot of good info on this but we will post all of them to just kind of show how they use these kind of dollar store maps to game the system and really leaves a lot of these communities, particularly places like North Tulsa, just without access to actual grocery stores.
3: Well, and which I, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
2: it's just like, yeah, it shows how, like, this plus the box food program just shows how poor people in this country are losing more and more options for even being able to eat well.
3: Right. Well,
0: And it is this kind of like it's this gap that is just growing in American society between the rich and the poor, because Mm -hmm. like uh, an important part of Dollar General's business plan, what some of these articles are saying is finding these locations where you have new concentrations of poverty or rural locations where you're getting not concentrations of poverty, but like the inability of mom and pop stores to compete and moving into those places. Because we're getting to a point now where rich and poor people literally never see each other in American yeah. society because you you can't, the poor people can't afford to go to those places and the rich people sit there and make fun of the poor or, or act like, you know, it's it's a crime-ridden part of town, not because of massive poverty and the lack of opportunity, but because, you know, it's... Whatever I I can't even think of reasons why they would use right now and,
2: and it's like that it's like that uh, white mom's a broken arrow meme that's just like <laughs> I haven't seen the downtown Tulsa skyline in seven years
3: okay, we're gonna <laughs> like, link yeah, to these, that <laughs> <laughs>
2: these, these people I, yeah they I live I in totally their suburban communities I'm and up that page never right leave
0: right <laughs> oh well it's the same th- I mean it's a thing that I see all the time I, I go on the Oklahoma subreddits all the time. And you see these fucking people, like somebody posts on the Tulsa subreddit and they're like, hey, I want to move to Tulsa. What's a good neighborhood? And they're like, oh my God, if you live in Midtown, you're going to get executed on the street for like walking outside. You have to live in a suburb. And it's like, what the actual fuck is wrong with you that you think Tulsa is like this? Like you live south of 91st Street and, and east of Memorial or something and you've never been to Tulsa.
2: That's why they're afraid to pit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But then, I mean, there's also the problem, and I I think this is a a really important intersection for us to talk about with the North Tulsa food desert. You know, it's not like Tulsa is lacking for grocery stores. Um, Yeah, no, we've
2: got tons of grocery stores, tons of, like, luxury grocery stores at that. I mean, if you... You don't have to go that far down Peoria to see Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and... The new fancy research.
0: I, I mean, I took that drive literally every day in high school to Booker T, uh, because I grew up on Brookside down Peoria, and it's like a fifteen minute drive, and you can see it so starkly. And the fact that now there are four grocery stores in less than a mile strip, two of them yeah. in the same parking lot in Tulsa, and, and and we're having trouble getting a grocery store to open that will stay there permanently north of Pine is is so indicative one of of the serious lasting effects that racism in America have had on on communities of well, color. It's definitely it's 100% an issue of
2: segregation. Yeah. It's yeah. like still the implied segregation that has not been remedied since
1: and, and so you, were, you were legal you were struggling to come up existed. with uh, you were struggling to come up with reasons uh, as to why the rich don't want to participate or why grocery stores can't get it's absolutely issues of segregation. I was about to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's also an issue, I mean, it's the intersection between between the racism that was an important part of the Tulsa race massacre in 1921 that destroyed black wealth in Tulsa, right? Combined with the pressures of capitalism today where it's not profitable to open up a grocery store in North Tulsa. And so you have to look for funding from the government to be able to do it. Well, and so even that's not
2: true. Uh, even, like, claiming that it's not profitable isn't true because a lot of the, like, statistics that businesses will use to locate places come from property values in the area. And there's still major issues of, like, particularly, like, Black and Hispanic communities being seriously devalued in property just because of redlining practices that don't reflect, like, the actual value of that community. Uh, Like, the the real like spending power that the community has. And so it's still like based on false reports on how low property values are and how like economically devastated an area is despite the fact that it might be a like decently thriving community. And so they still use those like racially based statistics to decide that this is not a profitable area to move the grocery store to and then move it to the white area, which is overvalued.
0: Well, yeah, which right. is so overvalued that you literally have a brand new resource Sharing a parking lot with the Whole Foods, exactly, yeah, um, which is literally pissing distance from a Trader Joe's. <laughs> <sighs> um, yep. but yeah, I, I mean, I'm very, I'm very glad on the one hand that there are the people protesting that the Dollar General opening and that there is the possibility of a new, of a new grocery For store. For sure, open.
2: it does look like there's enough like pushback against this that they could get a lot done and especially because they have got a pretty sizable grant the 1.5 million uh block grant would be enough to really incentivize like a decent grocery store coming in if they could actually make a case for it yeah if they if they, if the city would actually push for
0: it well right. no, i mean but i but i think fundamentally that that and i hope there are some people making this argument out on the street in the protests and if you know just if you're listening to the show and you're in Tulsa Maybe go do that, you know. Go 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 into the community and do that. And if you're from the community, yeah, do that because yes, it, because so that it is, really shows
2: people is that they desperately want a grocery store there. They want fresh produce. They want to buy meats that aren't freeze dried. And,
0: and going there and saying, "Look, this is this is this is capitalism functioning." You know, this is what American capitalism looks like: is not having access to like basic food goods, even when the market. You know, even when the wealth is probably there for it, even when it should be a thing, because it it is for, you know, a large part of the American bourgeoisie only profitable to do this if the government's paying for it. And and if the government is going to be giving out this big grant, why the fuck is somebody making money off of it? Why don't we just open a grocery store there and say, no, we're providing for that people from the community are getting hired. We're not gonna let somebody make any money off this $1.5 million investment that we're putting into this community.
2: You know? well, I think on a broader scale, this just shows the errors and problems that come with having something like food distribution be completely privatized.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Right, that's, I mean... <laughs> the, the <'Cause>, point... <laughs> yeah, people, thousands and
2: thousands of people fall through the cracks and don't get access to basic needs because it's not profitable yeah. which right. is super
1: fucked up I mean time and again you got the healthcare industry you got providing sources of food public housing you know like we were even talking about how one of the questions at the forum i think that you wrote carl was how we're going to deal with um having as more luxury houses up for sale than we do homeless people or than we do homeless people yeah, yeah and it's wh- like what the actual <laughs> fuck
0: how is that we, real <laughs>
1: Like, can we... Like, houses aren't meant to be lived in? I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't know what words mean anymore. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, if you can, try and get out there and show some support to the North Tulsa people who really only want to eat some decent food. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, Carl, you've got a little story that might have caught some people's attention in Oklahoma.
0: Yes, a, a, just, just a tiny little story uh, at this point. Um... Uh, We've only reported on it the last two weeks in a row, (laughs) which is the fact that now um, Teachers are very seriously starting to organize a strike or a walkout of some kind Um, There's a Facebook group. I'm a member of it I've invited all the teachers that I'm friends with on Facebook into it. Um, I suggest everybody join it Um, And it's it's called Oklahoma teacher walkout the time is now and it started (laughs) <laughs> this this is really crazy. It started on March 1st, right? It is Three March 4th today and there's already over 40,000 people in it. there's
1: 40,000? There's was, there was 20,000 in it yesterday. Over
0: 40,000 people today. Um that's I I like checked that's... I checked yeah, maybe I'm pulling an it up hour right now. We we started recording um at early today what at 9 uh Oklahoma yeah. time. And I checked it around 8 in the morning Oklahoma time, and it was it was already over 40,000 members. Um, <laughs> so, and we've had teachers gather in more to talk about having a strike. Last Friday, uh, students in Sand Springs walked out, just like they did in Bartlesville, for 22 minutes to protest the cuts to the budget. Um... And it's districts up with about 25 percent of Oklahoma's student population have come to the point where they're saying we are actively coordinating now to close down schools until we see pay raises, until we see real investment from our lawmakers into the school system. And, and I mean, it's going to be real. Um, well, I
2: think seeing West Virginia, like, makes this way more of a solid, like, uh, a solid card to play for Oklahoma teachers, because the legislature can't just dismiss this as like, oh, well, they won't actually go through with it after seeing the entire state of West Virginia just do the exact same thing. I mean, they provided a really good model and really strengthened Oklahoma teachers' cases. Not adorable. even,
0: Not even doing the thing where they just went on strike. In West Virginia, the teachers went on strike the they got the union got the deal that it wanted that teachers didn't actually want because it didn't solve some of the fundamental problems, namely healthcare costs. and then the teachers went on wildcat Strike, which is what they're doing right now, and right. got all the schools in West Virginia closed in all fifty five counties, which mm-hmm. is super impressive that outside the bounds of of a of union that I'm sure is is not doing a good job of protecting them at the managerial level um the rank and file decided to do that, and that is also what's happening right now with Oklahoma's teachers, is that the rank and file are saying, this is bullshit. I mean, there's a quote from uh, one of the teachers that's organizing this that I think is really telling about where we're headed in terms of this teacher strike, right? And it's, it, it, it's a damning indictment of, of the Oklahoma school system. Uh, this teacher said, if we strike, I double dare you to fire us. We'll just go to Texas. They're looking for new teachers.
2: Yeah, I saw an article. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the show, Double but it was, telling, it was talking about how much uh, teachers make by like going to other places from Oklahoma, and so um, from where I lived previously in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to where I live now in the outskirts of Boston, Massachusetts, a teacher can make forty-seven thousand dollars a year more by transferring <laughs> to a Massachusetts school. Did you? That is, um, <laughs> An entire other salary.
0: That is literally that $47,000 is the right around, if not like a thousand bucks more than the maximum an Oklahoma teacher can make right now with a doctoral degree. And maxed out in terms of pay raises over, you know, years of service to the public education system in the state of Oklahoma.
2: Decades of service. And I mean, of course, it's like bad for Oklahoma to lose good teachers to states that can obviously provide for them a lot better. But it really does strengthen their position in this strike by like, because they, the state is not holding over the possibility of firing them or losing their livelihoods over them. Because they're like, well, yeah, my life would probably be better if I moved to one of these other states.
0: Yeah, I have. to um, Texas uh there was some uh i I was reading some stuff about it and there was a comment where a guy was like you know i didn't really know what i was going to do with my life i just finished college i was looking around at jobs i considered being a teacher and then i looked at what that would mean after finishing college and i saw that my part-time job at a shitty sports bar as a bartender was making me more money than being a full-time teacher in any of the school systems in oklahoma like, that is mind-boggling that that's there. And if you look at those pay charts, you know, if you have a college degree and you get lucky in terms of where you get hired, you can start at the top of where you'll end up as a teacher. And teachers are... Yeah, right. and, and that's just one of the manifold problems that education has right now in Oklahoma. I mean, it's not just teachers. It's... it's
1: administrative, administrative staff, janitorial staff. staff. Yeah. Yeah, it's tons. um.
0: Higher education, it is literally everybody that does not have enough money to function right now. Like, we've gotten to the point where higher education in the state of Oklahoma, quote unquote, public higher education, is getting around 10% of its budget from the state. Like, that's not public.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is nice. more
0: money going into that grocery store in North Tulsa from the public purse than there is going into higher education in the state of Oklahoma by, like, multiple orders of magnitude as a percentage of what's going in. Mm-hmm. you know and and that's part of why the teachers are, are are gathering together to protest. So I think I think it's really I think it's amazing that they're talking about this. Um and that they're getting to the point where it's just like no, nah, this is fucking over. We are going to go on strike too.
3: Well, I think the
2: I mean it seems like there's been a serious decline in union power like i mean certainly within our lifetimes you can look back to the 50s and 60s and even the 70s and see a time when unions were way stronger but now it kind of seems like at least i think they're definitely a good thing to have unions like we do now but it kind of seems like these teachers are at a point where they are beyond how our unions currently work they're having to do this you know by themselves or like you you know you have the wildcat strike you have the teachers here like not doing it through the union channels which i think shows like a renewed desire for this type of collection collective action but also kind of shows that the current union model we have is outdated and there might be like some better way we need to start thinking about how to structure these types of like collective protests
0: Well, I mean, I think that's totally true. And I think in a way that it's actually really representative of how the forces of capitalism produce in people, you know, in a kind of universal way, like a certain kind of response, because we did have, you know, from the New Deal on this corporatist model where unions work with big business in a kind of social democratic ways that You know, people who are working get enough money. And we've seen that cut out, like the legs cut out from underneath that starting in the 70s, but going full throated in the 90s. And now that we're back to this industrial era capitalism, another theme for the show that's that's become a thing where people are just like, no, fuck, fuck all of this. We as workers are organizing ourselves for the betterment of us and for the betterment of our entire community. And, I mean, if Trump isn't a
2: symbol for a second gilded age, I don't know <laughs> what else it is. <laughs> the person who literally,
0: literally loves covering stuff in gold. <laughs> literally loves gilding.
1: Um, He's, he has called himself Midas while jerking off multiple times.
0: Uh, he actually said that to Stormy Dan- Daniels while he wasn't fucking her.
2: Um. (laughs) He has a long-going feud with uh, Mike Myers for not letting him play Goldmember and Austin Powers.
0: (laughs) It's very unfair to me. I
2: have a
0: hair. I I don't know if that's not true, but I lean towards that (laughs) being actually true. I'm sure that's bullshit, but some part of me is like, that's real.
2: (laughs) It's going to be show canon.
3: (laughs)
0: Um, there's just one last thing I want to say about this before we move on to our conservative reading list of the week. Uh, and that's, uh, when they're thinking about it, you know, because this, this is really impressive. The teachers are talking about doing it in the first week of April during standardized testing to be like, we're not going to administer this, these fucking tests that we have to do because the state legislature see, you know, thinks that we need to pass these bullshit tests that don't do anything that teachers like. Uh-huh. And, and so, essentially, what it would do is is be the like biggest
1: fuck you, hell yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: the biggest fuck you possible, since they're not going to be able to strike uh, during at this moment. Like they're not going to be able to strike properly speaking, you know, during the primaries or something to really force the issues and schools out of session. Then, um, and so everybody, it's it's um, less than a, you know, it's about a month away that they're talking about it. So join the Facebook group, start talking to teachers. You know, two episodes ago. Uh, one episode ago, both of them, I talked about some stuff to do in terms of organizing. Get fucking organized and get ready to get buck about a massive strike. Because it's, it's, Definitely, it's yeah. happening.
2: I mean, now's the time to show support. It's, yeah, it's gearing up.
0: Mm-hmm. But moving on to our <laughs> conservative reading list uh, for the week. I took something. I went back to the Oklahoman. You know it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. I had some trouble choosing this week, though there wasn't that much good stuff, <laughs> uh so I got a slow this, burn. this looks like a good one yeah um I got a oh, slow my favorite fun.
1: editorial board um, how can we stop
0: I keep looking I keep looking at the Tulsa World and they keep not publishing literal shit, so it's just not <laughs> it's not working out. you know every once in a while you get something but had had to go back um. We,
1: we can hit, like, places like McAllister News, like Enid, you know? I'm yeah, sure they've okay, got some okay. shit out, too. Uh,
0: this week, I, I had a fucking paper due, okay? I, I didn't look as far <laughs> as I could have. The, for the well, next plus, week's show, I'll do that. Uh, Oklahoma is just a deep, well of terrible opinion articles.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it never gets wrong. You go wrong. <laughs>
0: um, but so this article is from March 1st, uh, and it's called Billy Graham Funeral Highlights OK Casket Law Problem. Um, you know uh, ding dong the witch is dead fuck you Billy Graham that's my, yeah. my take on Billy Graham but that's all we need to say about him I'll, ju- I'll just get into the article now um, it's a sign of his prominence as quote unquote America's pastor that Billy Graham's funeral <laughs> services are receiving national news coverage this includes stories noting Graham's remains will be buried in a simple pine plywood casket made in 2006 by inmates at the Louisiana State Penitentiary The Graham family bought the casket for $200. I want to know that they- Just (laughs) as
1: God would want it to.
0: (laughs) They, like, bring this into the story that, like, these people- It was made by criminals. Yeah, in one of the shittiest, like, one of the few prison systems in America that can, like, go toe-to-toe with Oklahomas in terms of being terrible. (laughs) And they're like, oh, that's just a thing. That's not what the story's about. They just had to include that pathologically. (laughs) Just so you know, it's
2: made by
1: slave labor.
0: Yeah, literal slave labor,
1: <laughs> and it's it's in a simple casket as opposed to some complex Billy Graham like voodoo mechanism that can uh, hoist his body up if they if they do choose and marionette his ass,
0: which they should do so that we can you know all like pee on it or something because fuck you, Billy Graham. Um, but let's keep going. <laughs> Many have cited that as a sign of Graham's humility, but the casket story raises another point worth noting. No, not the thing about the fact that it's made in prison. A uh, very important edi- <laughs> e- editorial note from me here. <laughs> Graham.
1: Graham decided he put in his will, a so you know I want to thing... provide prisoners some labor.
3: The closest... All right, when
1: I die, I I'm trying to be I'm trying to be humble here. <laughs> I don't want my I don't want my casket made by some professional casket maker.
0: Like, no, I want he wants the a humble casket base, like... much
2: <laughs> He wants a humble casket much like Jesus and he also wants some people in a chain gang to push the rock closed on his tomb.
3: <laughs>
0: Except Jesus was cool because he cared about people and Billy Graham did. <laughs> uh but but <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> because this is this is a fucking curveball after this. Um it's a good thing his family and the casket-making inmates didn't reside in Oklahoma. Otherwise, this yes, transaction would have <laughs> been illegal. <laughs> um, now, the point they're making here, I, I, I also have to explain this, because the point they're making here is that the only people who can sell uh, funeral goods in Oklahoma to other people are... Um, people who work in the funeral goods business right you can't just like you have to be a licensed mortician or whatever to do this and so they could just have someone at the in, at the prison that did that but the Oklahoman apparently doesn't doesn't understand that um but this prison
2: warden is like Elon Musk of caskets he's disrupting the casket <laughs> dealer industry <laughs>
0: Actually, he's a lot like Silicon Valley, private prison people, because they just refuse to pay people <laughs> the minimum wage and then think that that's like a, a business model.
2: <laughs> and try and force them to live on campus.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's <sure. laughs> true. They do force them to live on campus. It's rent-free, though.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Okay, uh, continuing. Um, in Oklahoma, anyone engaged in, quote, the sale of any funeral service merchandise, end quote, must obtain a state license pursuant to the F- Funeral Services Licensing Act. Put plainly, if you're an Oklahoma business owner selling caskets to fellow Oklahomans, you must be li- a licensed funeral home director. And to become a licensed funeral home director, you must first, you must finish at least two years of college plus a, a year-long apprenticeship in which you embalm 25 bodies, then pass two exams. It seems kind of fair to me that but i mean also okay um i don't know that what doesn't seem like a big problem so, for oklahoma Are they all
1: alluding to deregulating and being like this industry needs any casket sold
0: we're no. in a casket shortage <laughs> wait it, it's, it's it's better than just going in for deregulating um well, well actually we'll um, <laughs> new orleans might have actually had a casket shortage <laughs> <laughs> After, after Katrina, when uh, the Bush administration did nothing, they definitely might have. Um, uh, but let's continue. Um, what do these requirements have to do with caskets? Not much, which is why Oklahomans can purchase caskets online from out-of-state companies, but not from an Oklahoma-based seller. Again, that, I guess that's a problem. I don't really know what's wrong with that. Um, but I, we'll keep going. Uh, Oklahoma is one of only about a half dozen states to impose such a restriction. The law has long been a source of contention, and it has been credited with significantly increasing the cost of a casket in Oklahoma, particularly in the years before internet sales became common. In 2001, Kim Powers, then of Ponca City and Dennis Bridges of Knoxville, Tennessee, launched Memorial Concepts Online, which sold caskets across the nation, but Oklahoma law made it illegal for Powers to sell caskets to fellow Oklahomans. Powers, represented by the Institute for Justice, challenged the law in court. While the Institute for Justice prevailed when uh, challenging similar laws in Tennessee and Louisiana, the group was not successful in challenging Oklahoma's law, which the courts ultimately upheld.
2: Um, Is he advocating we go into a casket trade war within our state? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we should really put a tariff on casket. Let's, let's put a tariff on casket, okay? Don't we
1: already have a death tax? And weren't we already talking about Austin Powers? Who the okay. fuck is Kim?
0: Obama passed the death <laughs> pact to fund the death panels that put people in casket. It's true. It's true. Uh. Um, but we're almost done here. And this, this is where the kicker comes in, right? Because <laughs> um, there, there are two very important things here in the last part. Um, but in upholding the law, the courts never claim the casket law provides meaningful benefit, meaningful benefit to Oklahoma consumers. Uh, Nota Bene. The Oklahoma does not care about Oklahoma consumer, consumers whatsoever. Um, continuing. Indeed, when the 10th U.S. Sor- Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against powers, it effectively conceded the contrary, blithely noting that dishing out special economic benefits to certain in-state industries remains the favored pastime of state and local governments. <laughs>
3: what that 10th I mean, U.S. Yes, Circuit it, Court of Appeals
0: yeah. judge forgot is that it's also the business Of local newspapers, like the Oklahoman, spending tons of fucking ink printing articles to the benefit of the oil and gas industry. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. Like, this whole thing where they complain about this and the whole time they're like, Oh my God, oil companies would be utterly economically unable to drill for any oil in the state of Oklahoma. Without Thank God we don't make plastic caskets. (laughs) Or we'd be fucking appealing, this bitch. All right. It's just fucking crazy. That that they do this unironically in the Oklahoman. Um But we're we're gonna we're gonna finish it out. Um because the real kicker comes at the end. Um after losing her case, Powers moved her business to Tennessee and now employs more than 130 people. Keep in mind. Keep that in mind the next time Oklahoma politicians complain about fiscal concerns. When bad regulations drive jobs and tax revenue out of state, it means some of the state's financial challenges are wholly self-inflicted by those same lawmakers. I I don't really know what to say to that at this point.
1: (laughs) are they pretending to have an epiphany? Are they stealing a lot of verbiage from different places and don't really know. Like, there's a Facebook page, a Facebook group that I'm a part of. That's you can just put words in any order you want. And I feel that I should link this article there. You should because
0: (sighs) also they're claiming they're trying to
2: cobble together anti-regulation stuff out of this casket issue, and they're just like, well, this means that we should deregulate the oil
0: industry, right? Well, and it also it feels like they're saying Oklahoma's structural budget deficit is caused by the fucking casket industry. Like, are you yeah. joking? That's true. Uh, she the employed, she industry. moved her business to Tennessee and took all
1: 130 people with her.
2: Caskets used to, you know,
0: drive this state. That used to be the, this used to be the casket state. Before Obama now, came in and passed all those EPA regulations on caskets.
2: <laughs> wow. Think of how many caskets the Chinese are building these days. Folks, we need to bring caskets back to our country.
0: (laughs) Casket dumping is the new Chinese economic (laughs) model. Uh, That's what (laughs) socialism with Chinese characteristics is. (laughs) Uh, But no, it's just, I don't know. To me, this whole article reads like the people at the Oklahoman understand that there's a structural budget deficit issue, but they just can't say what's causing it, you know? And, no, exactly,
2: and that's what's stopping them from actually having good editorials. Is they can never point and say oil's fault. Yeah, they they're just... just like, you know, maybe if we still had uh, good old fashioned casket makers,
0: <laughs> then it'd be okay. Folks,
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Plus>, the blacksmiths <laughs> in this country, in this state, have been driven out, forced to go to Colorado or out west to California.
0: Well clearly we need to bring back uh the dust business to Oklahoma. Uh that's why was doing <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Oh my god. It'll be here shortly apparently
1: <laughs> after we are bring back the the 30s trade war edition.
0: Yeah, there's going to be the
2: new state of Oklahoma program, dig your own grave and save. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's public work. As long as you're not selling it, it's it's legal. Uh no regulation. Um but you know that, can, you, that's...
1: can you read the last paragraph? I think it's actually pretty significant.
0: Okay, okay. I don't know. I, I thought it wasn't that important. Um, defenders of Oklahoma's casket law insist it's a consumer protection measure. No doubt, tears will be shed at Graham's funeral on Friday. Tears of joy. But we doubt any crying will be, ca- will be caused by alarm that his casket doesn't meet the strict quote-unquote consumer protection requirements imposed on Oklahomans.
1: See, I just picture somebody running into Billy Graham's funeral hysteric, right? <laughs> and then they ask, like, oh, my, were, were you close to him? And they were like, no, casket law!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I Don't give a fuck about the dead guy. Government <sighs> regulation is strangulating the funeral market.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my uh, fucking gosh.
0: Well, uh... To end the show on another hopeful note, just like the fact that Billy Graham's dead, um, (laughs) here are some socialist events happening in Oklahoma. Uh, Green Country DSA is having its first socialist school session on Wednesday, March 7th, from 6.30 to 8 p.m. at Chapman Hall in room 330. And on the 11th, they will have a volunteer training for the Brake Lights Clinic. And whenever they get more information about that, uh, we'll be letting you all know. Uh, The Oklahoma Brown Berets, the American Indian Movement of Indian Territory, and Red Dirt Defense. We'll all be at the protest. We demand Norman police officers Kanan and Brown be fired on Sunday, March 11th from 11 to 1 in front of the Norman Police Department. The UCO Socialist Alliance will be hosting an event called Student Activism in Oklahoma, 1962 to 1972 on Wednesday, March 7th from 2 to 4 p.m. in room 234 of the UCO Liberal Arts Building. And finally, some students at O-Trip are meeting on Thursday, March 8th at 12.30 p.m. in the green room of the Bruce Owen Theater to start organizing a Young Democratic Socialist of America chapter. Um, You know, if you're at O-Trip, go get organized, y'all. That's really important. Um, Finally, uh, you know, I want to remind everybody that you got to check back during the week. As far as I know, that's when Adam is going to have it done for the special edition recording of the GCDSA Candidate Forum, uh, which we co-hosted with them. It's really cool. It was absolutely amazing, uh, and it's going to be way better quality than the save live stream on Facebook because I could not hear people half the time. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Redstar Over OK. If you all come to the subreddit r slash Red Star Over Oklahoma, you're going to see a bunch of articles from the show posted, and you're going to be able to discuss it with us and with you know other people around Oklahoma. It's a great resource, so go there. Um, you can follow us on SoundCloud. Again, that's just Red Star Over Oklahoma. And then you can also find us on iTunes, once again, at Red Star Over Oklahoma. And if you've got questions, comments, concerns, if you're a teacher that might be talking about going on strike, um, email us. We're redstaroverok at gmail.com. And then most importantly at the end, tell your friends. Really, tell your friends about us. We're doing great stuff here, and we'd love to get more listeners, and it's just part of building socialism is listening to good news. It's not the fucking Oklahoman. And rate and review us on iTunes, because that does make a difference in terms of us showing up on searches when people just look up Oklahoma when they're looking for podcasts. So that's it for the week, and I hope you all have a you know, good time getting ready for the strike. Bye.
3: Later, y'all. Don't forget to go to stamps.com for all your stamps. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck stamps.com. Fuck Give me money. <laughs> Fuck stamps.com. <laughs>